Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Unlikely Hikers podcast. (laughs) Unlikely Hikers is a diverse, anti-racist, body-liberating outdoors community on Instagram, at Unlikely Hikers. It's also a nationwide hiking group and now a podcast. The outdoor industry and outdoor culture have for too long displayed a very narrow definition of who is quote unquote outdoorsy that isn't representative of most of us. We, unlikely hikers, are people of size, Black, Indigenous, people of color, queer, trans, and non-binary. We are people with disabilities and people who utilize the outdoors to aid our mental health. We talk about barriers and access to recreation, politics and conservation, all while we honor the land we recreate on and its indigenous stewards. I realize that's a lot going on and we don't conflate these experiences. No, they are not all the same thing. We're exploring and building community at the intersections. We all have a story. And if you see yourself as an unlikely hiker, welcome. I'm your host, Jenny Brusso. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm a white, queer, fat, femme, writer, and hiker. And I'm recording this episode in Portland, Oregon, on the traditional lands of the Cowlitz, Chinook, and Kalapuya. This episode is a storytelling episode. If you've been following along with us, we did this for our fourth and seventh episodes. Our storytellers are plus-size rock climber and mountaineer Megan Banker, pronouns she, her, and hers. Backcountry drag queen Patty Gonia, aka Wynn Wiley. Patty's pronouns are she, her, and hers, and Wynn's pronouns are he, him, and his. And we also have returning podcast guest Will Acuna Robinson, pronouns he, him, and his. Akuna is the first known Black man to achieve the triple crown of through hiking, and you can go and check that story out on our second episode. This episode is brought to you with support from the National Forest Foundation. We are smack dab in the middle of National Forest Week, which is from July 13th through the 19th. And all week, we are featuring interesting stories of adventures in national forests on the Unlikely Hikers Instagram feed. So go check that out and be sure to visit nationalforestweek.org for all kinds of virtual events. Hashtag your social media photos, National Forest Week. Stay tuned for a mini interview with Keenan Adams, pronouns he, him, and his. He is the forest supervisor of El Junque National Forest in Rio Grande, Puerto Rico. Did you know that there are 193 million acres of national forest system lands in the United States? Or that millions of people in thousands of communities get their drinking water from watersheds that originate on national forest land? National forests can be great alternatives to going to national parks or state parks, which can be super busy. And hello, we are still very much in the middle of a pandemic. Wear a mask. Yes, even outside. You can pull it down off your face when folks aren't around. Don't leave your home if you aren't feeling well for whatever reason. Wash your hands and use hand sanitizer. I know we've heard all of this a million times now, and I know we're wrung out, but COVID-19 infection rates are still climbing. For more information on how to recreate responsibly, head to recreateresponsibly.org and listen to the ninth episode of our podcast, where I spoke with Recreate Responsibly Coalition members Taldi Harrison from REI and Chip Jenkins, Superintendent of Mount Rainier National Park. And remember, National Forest Land is native land. Do your homework, find out who the original stewards are of the land you recreate on, and find out what they call the places you love. All of the information I'm throwing out at you can be found at jennybrusso.com slash podcast. National forests are a mainstay of my outdoor adventures. 
I'm really privileged to live so close to so many in the Pacific Northwest. I take the pandemic very seriously and aside from essential chores, the only thing I leave my house for are hikes and two to three day backpacking trips. My mental health depends on it. COVID-19 and all it has represented, all that it's showing me about humanity, along with the social injustice pandemic, as Chelsea Murphy put it in our last episode, have shredded my mental health and knocked me on my ass. Literally. For months, I didn't move, aside from walking my dog, and even that felt like an insurmountable chore every single day. My triggers and trauma responses have gone buck wild in this cultural climate, and my mental health often manifests in intense body pain. I've been really gentle with myself about all of it because, honestly, losing my marbles feels like a reasonable response to the level of chaos in the world. I believe being gentle with myself has been exactly the reason why I've been able to show up for these crises in ways that would have been impossible if I just allowed the self-loathing shame monsters to have their way with my brain. In the last few weeks, as I've begun to refine a little life through all of this, and it's because of my time outside, I've started moving again. I've headed out backpacking every week for a few days to unplug, move my body in the way it loves most, and reground myself in the one place where my body, mind, and spirit know exactly what to do in nature. I just got back from a few days in the Deschutes National Forest on Klamath, Malala, Warm Springs, Wasco, Nuumu, aka Paiute land, and I'm feeling so much more clear-headed and alive than I have in a long time. I really want all of you to get some of this nature healing and remember to thank the land for all it does for you. Thank the rivers, thank the sun. You do not have to thank the mosquitoes. Our first storyteller is Will Akuna Robinson. Akuna is an army vet who has used through hiking as a tool to manage PTSD. He is the first known black man to earn the triple crown of hiking, which is the completion of the Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail, and Continental Divide Trail. That's more than 10,000 miles of hiking. Goes back to April 2nd, 2016. I'm standing at the southern terminus of the PCT and I was just dropped off by an incredible trail angel named Bob. And before he drives off, he tells me the gravity of the decision I'm making will become clear as I watch his taillights fade in the distance. And, you know, I just took that as what it was, but he was really right. You know, watching those taillights fade off into the distance, I instantly understood, bro, I'm in it. You know, is this really what I need to be doing? You know, from there, I hiked my miles. I met a person that gave me my trail name, which was around day two, but I still didn't know if this whole through hiker, you know, outdoorsy person was for me. You know, I developed my trail family along the way and, you know, they were open, they were helping me learn what it was to be a through hiker. They encouraged me, but, you know, I still was like, yeah, I might be able to do this, but I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it. When I hit the 100-mile uh, mark, that was like the biggest accomplishment ever for me. That's been something that's always bigger to me than any completion that I've done so far. You know, when I got there, I, when I first started a trail, I didn't think I would make it 20 miles or 25 miles, let alone 100 miles. So I was extremely proud of myself. But at that point, I still didn't know if I was enjoying it. I was thinking maybe this is more just being stubborn. You know, I, I told everybody I was going to go out on this ultimate journey and, you know, have all of this growth. Maybe I'm just here because of that. I don't want to be what, what some would consider a failure. So, you know, I kept on with the hike. You know, I kept growing with my family. I kept seeing the different things changing in myself. 
and you know the personal growth and i enjoyed that but i still hadn't quite came to the realization that you know i'm going to be an outdoor person the rest of my life i had so many moments you know between the southern terminus and kennedy meadows which is mile 702 of the pct where i kind of just had to tell myself to keep going you know the nature wasn't actually keeping me out there it's like I was holding something back with myself, you know, even reaching Kennedy Meadows and being clapped in by all the other hikers and being proud of myself that I completed an entire section of the trail wasn't enough to make me say, you know, I enjoy this through hiking thing. You know, I enjoy hiking and just being out here in nature. You know, that year we uh, went into the Sierra and, you know, we climbed Mount Whitney, the tallest peak in the continuity in the United States. And I get there and dislocate my knee. And I was worried about getting down, but made it down, made it over Forrester and Kearsarge and into Bishop. Made the decision at that point that my knee was a little too messed up to continue in the high Sierra the way we were going. So I flipped up ahead to Oregon with a member of my trail family and we kind of did the highlights of Oregon. And, you know, although it was just so gorgeous and I had probably the best company a person could ask for in nature and, and the best person to learn from, I still wasn't convinced. And uh, we uh, decided to finish our hike, you know, in the spirit of Cheryl Strait at the Bridge of the Gods. And, you know, from there, I spent a day or two in Portland and flew back home to get treatment for my knee. I came back home and I, Still, you know, I had all kind of awesome stories to tell everybody, but I still didn't know that this was for me. All I knew was I set out on a goal and I didn't complete it. A month later, a friend calls me and he's been hiking solo for some time on the PCT and that just didn't really sit well with me. So within a couple of days, I was on a plane back to Portland to meet up with him to hike the rest of the way. And it was great being back out there, but this was more of, I'm going to help a friend, not so much, oh, I just missed the trail life in the hiking community. So we hiked together and we uh, got the Cascade Locks. You know, we had a, we got there just in time for our PCT days that year. Had an awesome time reconnecting with hikers, meeting other people in the outdoor community. And I, I felt welcomed, I felt included, but I was still holding back, it's like, this is probably still going to be a one-time thing. You know, after this is all over with, I'm going to end up going back to Louisiana and my outdoor experience will be fishing after that. I don't know if this is my jam at all. After uh, PCT days and reconnecting with a lot of people that I hadn't seen since I left trail, me and uh, my friend Hobby, we hiked alone for a long time. You know, we talked about any and everything, you know, the meaning of life and gear, all the things you do on a through hike. And, you know, none of it was convincing me that this was going to be, you know, my lifestyle. And we went all the way to, from Cascade Locks to Skycomish, Washington. Uh, a couple miles more north of Skycomish, Washington, uh, I decided that it was time for me to go ahead and depart the trail. You know, I wanted Javi to finish this experience by itself. And I guess part of me was like, since I didn't hike all of this way and I had so many chunks missing that I didn't want to get to the end of the trail and feel like I accomplished anything. So I didn't want to see the Northern Terminus. So I make my way back to Seattle and from Seattle, you know, I uh, actually through hike through Seattle. I get off the uh, bus a little too early and decide, hey, why not have one last hike? Because I'll probably never, ever do this again. You know, so I, I'm hiking around the city of Seattle. You know, I'm seeing the stadiums. I'm seeing everything, the nightlife. I get to the airport, and I'm just really, really overcome with the feeling of I'm so glad this is over with. I don't have to wake up in a tent and be smelly and dirty anymore. You know, I can go to the refrigerator. I can have ice cold water when I want it. I was so just thrilled to not have to do anything hiking anymore. You know, I boarded my plane and didn't even think again about through hiking or the PCT or anything the entire flight. 
You know, they are, as we're flying in, you're getting closer to New Orleans and they, you know, the flight attendants get on the comms and tell you, you know, prepare for landing and everything. You know, we do all of that protocol and we get on the ground. The door opens of the plane and everyone's filing out. And as soon as I stepped out of the plane, everything came to me at once. Everything just hit me like, man, your season is over with. You're not going to wake up in that tent. You're not going to see those awesome waterfalls in the gorge. You're not going to climb mountains here in Louisiana. You're not going to be surrounded by such a beautiful community of people. And I think that was the exact moment that I realized how much the outdoors meant to me and how much through hiking was going to be a big part of my life. You know, it wasn't the experiences or the accomplishments that I had on the trail. It took me actually leaving and knowing that it was done for the year and not wanting that to, to be the norm. You know, I, I wanted that feeling to continue. And so on the way home from the airport, I had already decided I was going to come out in 2017 and possibly 2018 and 2019. I just, I knew I didn't want that feeling to, to ever end. But I, that's how I found out that I love the outdoors and that this was going to be a part of my life is when I thought that I was going to be done with it. So I guess the moral of the story is, you know, save your time. Don't pass judgment on new things before you know what's up, because it could be something like leaving that opportunity or leaving that space is what's going to actually, you know, awaken you to how much it actually means to you. It's so true that so often, especially with like outdoorsy things, it's sort of what you learn in the retrospect that shows you who you are and what you're made of. You know, like it's that type two fun thing where in the moment it can be a, like a very specific kind of hell. And then you, when you're away from it, when you have like a little distance from it, it's almost like, it's like you learned something about yourself that forever changes you. And it's like, you can't wait to have that sort of feeling again, that sort of like transformational moment again. Definitely. You know, when you're in the thick of it, you see all the things that you absolutely can't stand about it. But once you leave, you can look at that same situation and now see all the things you loved about it. And that's what happened for me. Our next storyteller is Megan Banker. Megan is a rock climber and mountaineer living in Portland, Oregon. At her day job, she is a health at every size chiropractor that owns and operates a wellness clinic. Teaching and leadership are her passions, and you'll find her volunteering with local mountaineering organizations or teaching plus-size rock climbing classes at local gyms. I've gone to some of her classes, and it's been so much fun. Side of the story I wanted to share today is about the moment I decided to stop being so dang mean to myself. Um, and to tell this story, I have to give a little backstory. So for those of you who don't know me or who are new to hearing me speak, I have always lived in a larger body. Um, I've also always been super athletic. I was a competitive swimmer followed by a rugby player in college and just kind of gradually gravitated towards mountain and rock climbing when I moved to Oregon five years ago. I've struggled off and on with body image and diets as most people in larger bodies do. But I often followed, I often said the words, yes, I'm big, but I'm athletic, as if it somehow had to justify my body to myself and the world around me. Um, there's a whole lot more we can unpack there, but that's a different story for a different day. So when I started getting into climbing, I didn't know anyone who looked like me. I hadn't discovered unlikely hikers yet. I hadn't met all of the wonderfully accepting and inclusive outdoor friends that I have now. And I was learning my skills from an organization that was made up of predominantly privileged white fit men with a few women sprinkled in there. I really want to emphasize that I absolutely loved the people I was learning from. I met my amazing fiance through this group and their education and safety programs are incredible. And I really want to acknowledge that they've had a hugely positive impact on my life. 
But that being said, they are an organization that's been around for 100 years and old ships are hard to turn when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So because of this, combined with a lifetime of accepting social opinions and pressures about fat bodies, my first year of climbing was a constant battle of negative body image, toxic self-degradation, and imposter syndrome, which brings us to my story. So in 2018, I was assisting a class of new climbers. I had been in the climbing world for a little over a year, and we were taking them on a training hike up Hamilton Mountain in the Columbia River Gorge. It's about an eight mile loop with 2000 feet of elevation gain, so definitely a pretty strenuous hike. I woke up that morning feeling a little nauseous and kind of tired and just generally not feeling well. And we started hiking and I had to stop a few times because I thought I was gonna throw up. And I remember um, telling my fiance like, wow, I just really don't feel good today. And I usually always volunteered to act as the sweep, which means hiking at that back with the slower climbers so that they don't feel left out or like they're slowing people down. Um, it's just kind of a way to make sure that everyone feels included. Um, but I was falling way behind. The other instructors and assistants took over while I continued to struggle through the hike. And I was starting to kind of really get down on myself, which was pretty typical for that last year. Anytime I started to struggle a little bit or go a little bit slower than everyone else, I just always went into this cycle of negative self-talk. And with every step, I could still hear some of the things I was saying to myself, and it makes my heart hurt to think about it now. Um, they would wait for me to catch up, but then I would continue hiking without offering me a break at all. So we just kept leapfrogging where I would catch up and then they would start hiking again and then I would catch up again. And I felt like I couldn't stop to take a break because I didn't want to hold the group back. This meant that through that entire eight miles, I never stopped to take a break the entire time. I knew we were going to have a skills practice once the hike was over and I didn't want to hold anybody up. And the thing that I remember now is that that last mile being so far behind the group that I couldn't see them anymore was when I really went into what I've called the dark place. I just kept repeating to myself, you should have worked out more in preparation. You should have gone to the gym. You're fat and slow and deserve to be left behind. If you trip and fall, it's your own fault that no one will see you. You're fat and slow and lazy and you don't deserve to be out here. And just repeating those words now, it is starting to make me choke up a little bit because can you imagine walking an entire mile saying those things to your friend or to another person? Because I can't. But for some reason, I was okay with saying those things to myself. When I got home, I told my fiance what was going on, what I was saying to myself, how I felt about that day, and how I just felt like I was such an out of, I was out of place. I didn't belong there. And it was probably the darkest my mind had ever gotten on a trail. And it felt like it was just a compilation of my entire life's feelings about myself and my abilities. Um, I decided that I needed to change something. And at that point, I was thinking maybe I shouldn't even be outside. Maybe I shouldn't belong here. Um, and after talking about it for a long time with him, we just kind of decided maybe you should just try being a little bit kinder to yourself, which is definitely much easier said than done. But I had another climb on the calendar and I said, okay, I'll give myself one more try, see how it goes. So our next adventure was a group climb of Mount Eleanor in the Olympics. And before the climb, I thought to myself, okay, let's just see how it goes. Every time you have a negative thought, why don't you just try replacing it with a positive one? Um, which definitely is a thing that takes a lot of practice. Um, thankfully, I had the whole day to practice that. So every time I started to feel slow or get down on myself, I would say, you can do this. Your body does incredible things. Your legs are strong. You can turn food into nutrients. Your body breathes about you thinking about it. I would just get internally enthusiastic about every process that our bodies can do. I, in my regular life, I work as a doctor. So I get to really understand how our bodies work, the physiology of how our bodies get us through the day. And I was using that knowledge to get myself through this climb. At one point, I was just saying over and over with every step, you are strong, you can do this. You are strong, you can do this. At the end of the climb, I realized that for the first time ever, I didn't cry in the climb. I actually had fun. I laughed, I had a great time. I was a little slower than everyone else, but they waited for me at the summit and cheered me on when I got there. That night I went home and I made an Instagram post about it. And the next day was when Jenny shared it on the Unlikely Hikers page. After that, I started getting more opportunities related to my experiences outdoors. I started finding other people who looked like me and had shared my experiences. I started getting more vocal about what it's like to be quote unquote fat and outdoorsy as Jenny says. 
I truly believe that the conscious decision that day to stop talking about myself negatively changed my life, not only in the outdoors, but really started my journey with accepting my body and my authentic self. It's opened up doors for me that I didn't know were possible. And the lesson that I learned from that is words and thoughts are so powerful, especially the ones that we say to ourselves. I had to stop listening to the stories that I allowed people to tell me about what my body could do. And most importantly, I had to stop believing those stories. That's not to say that I've never had another negative thought or that my world is all rose-colored glasses now. Um, and to think that would be naive. But I think that the awareness and the recognition of that pattern and making a conscious effort to change the narrative is so wonderful. And that's why it's called practicing self-compassion. Of course, so much of that resonated for me, obviously, but the, <laughs> the, the acknowledging how your internal monologue, um, like how you would never speak to another human that way like yeah. having that realization and like you can't really go back from that like even if you continue the negative self-talk like you still have this knowledge in your head that like wow I would never say this to anybody even somebody I didn't like you know yeah I don't remember where I heard or read something like that but it just made me realize like I literally like even people that I don't like, I would never say yep. the things that I've said to myself to those people. <laughs> yeah. Because um, even with people you don't like, you still have compassion for them. And it's right. often not about like making somebody feel like the scum of the earth, even if you just don't like them. <laughs> yeah. And so that was a huge thing for me of like, you would never say these words out loud. So why are you saying them yeah. in your mind to yourself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, I feel that. National Forest Week is an annual celebration of our incredible national forest system and all that it offers. Find all information, resources, events, and a photo contest at nationalforestweek.org. This year's theme is Discover Unforgettable Experiences. What are your favorite outdoor memories and traditions? What is your personal connection to national forests and public lands? I had a chance to talk with El Junque National Forest Supervisor, Keenan Adams, who I actually featured on Unlikely Hikers years ago. Keenan has worked all over the US for the National Wildlife Refuge System, Department of the Interior, and National Forest Systems. He has always been fascinated with social and ecological systems and has a passion for working with local and underserved communities. He loves fly fishing the Caribbean, landscape photography, and traveling. Here's our interview. My job is the forest supervisor of El Junque National Forest in Rio Grande, Puerto Rico. My job is pretty dynamic. I equate it to being a park ranger and a mayor and a, a local city manager. Um, you deal with political issues um, in the local communities. You also deal with what you do with the trash. You also deal with how to help manage an endangered species. Um, I have one of the coolest jobs, I think, in, in the world. Um, it's just a microcosm of the issues we deal with with human conflict in nature. The, the one thing I really love about unlikely hikers among the many things that I love, it, it's about breaking the stereotype and the mold of preconceived notions of who hikers are. And I like to do the same about falling in love with nature. So a lot of people talk about these pristine experiences in these remote national parks I fell in love with nature in an apartment complex in the inner city of South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina, in a stream. And it was just a not much, not nice, you know, just a regular stream. And every day I would go there after school and try to catch crawfish. And um, we, we just love being in that stream. We love playing in the woods. And that's how I developed a connection to nature. Uh, I, I always say I grew up in a longleaf pine forest. There are a bunch of $300 a month apartments nestled in it, right? So um, that was my nature and that's how I fell in love with nature. And, and of course my dad took us fishing as well and that was the other part. So nature 
to me is really healing. Um, it's one of the few times I'm, I can really be present in the moment and just be, and just be there and, and get calm and clarity and perspective. It, it's a place of solitude and restoration for me. It helps me recalibrate. It helps me reconnect. It keeps me grounded and I'm able to be present. There's so many distractions, you know, inside a house or inside a car. I, I always find it weird. It's like we live in a box. You know, we wake up in this house that's a box. We get in a car that's a box. Then we go to a job that's another box. And to me, nature, there's no box. And, and that's what I really appreciate about it. Nature gives you so many different experiences. You can do the same hike and have a very different experience. Um, in El Junque, you can hike one of the trails to the top of the mountain, and it's a clear day. And you can see the Caribbean. You can see St. John's um, and just these aqua blue waters that are just majestic. And then the next day, it could be very misty, and you're walking through a cloud forest on the same exact trail, and you have this very mystical experience. And that, to me, is just also the other awesome part of nature is the diversity of experiences you can get in the same place um, over time. El Junque provides 20% of the drinking water for the entire island of Puerto Rico. Um, it's also 20% of the tourism economy as well. When you walk in it now, you would never think that that place was once a cleared farm. Um, it, it, it's amazing what happens when the, you know, you have a 365 day growing season. Um, and then it, it turned into this great recreational area um, and it's become this huge tourist attraction. It's the second most visited place in Puerto Rico. Um, and it provides a lot of recreation for tourists, but also for local folks. They play in the waterfalls a lot in the rivers. We also have great biodiversity. It's the most biodiverse national forest in the forest service system. And we have a lot of endangered species that we manage for. There's, um, you know, cool things like snails that glow in the dark and, and fungi that glow in the dark. Um, this bioluminescent uh, creatures. It's, it's just a mystical and magical place. Do you have a favorite memory in a national forest? There's a place in Colorado called the Ice Lake Basin. And me and my best friend went on a, a backpacking trip there and we, we hiked up. Um, to the top and camped and I just remember sitting there looking at these glaciated lakes that are just this wicked blue color I, I cannot describe it um, but just sitting there looking and contemplating the beautiful rugged peaks with this glaciated lake um, it was just an epic view it was unreal what does shared ownership mean to you Shared ownerships, shared stewardship is this concept that we're all in this together. We all have a piece to play when it comes to managing public lands. We, we as an agency have really evolved. And in the past, you know, prior to well, a long time ago, we would make decisions and just move forward without talking to the public. And we really changed that. We really work on engaging the communities and engaging people and listening to all people. With that comes a responsibility on the people to be actively engaged in, in managing the land. When I think of stewardship, I, I think of leaving a place better than when you found it. And that means different things. You know, if, me, myself as a land manager, that means over my career, I need to work to make this place and put it in a better condition of which I found it. But as a visitor, when I'm visiting a national forest, I think about what can I do to you know, whether it's picking up trash or just not engaging in certain activities. Um, so I would say it's pretty scalable from an individual to a citizen or part of the public to a land manager. But at its essence is that we're all in this together. There's a shared responsibility that we all have in managing land. There's a sh and there should be some shared decision making and how we manage land. I would say to people to get engaged on the public land near you. I would like to make a call to go help volunteer. 
uh, and be an active participant. Um, we as land managers could always use more help. Some of most of our work's done, um, and many and many times, in many instances, through volu volunteerism. It's a great way to actively engage and 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 participate in land management and stewardship. It's one of the most rewarding experiences can be volunteering, figure out what you want to do and contact. There's probably a volunteer coordinator in, in most places and, and get engaged. Thank you for your time. This was great. Oh, anytime. I'm, I'm, you're doing a really good thing for folks like myself. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And, and I, I will probably take you up on that. <laughs> I'm here. Our final storyteller is Patty Gonia, AKA Wynn Wiley. Patty is an environmental advocate, outdoor community leader, and backpacking drag queen. She seeks to uplift LGBTQIA people and allies in the outdoors. Outside of Heels, Wynn Wiley has worked as a photographer, speaker, teacher, and creative director. Last year on a week long backpacking trip in Colorado, Wynn put on high heels and strutted for the first time as Patagonia. Her first video garnered more than 100 million views across media platforms. My story starts in Nebraska, native Pawnee and Sealand. Born and raised in the middle of it all, in a little blue dot of a city in the middle of Trump's America. And I always felt like since I was a kid that I had a lot of like beauty in my life and a lot of like grit and weird and like dissonance in a way. I think a lot of queer people feel that. And I was closeted for all of my youth until I was 18. And also in that time when I was closeted, um, I had my first experiences in the outdoors through Boy Scouts, which was beautiful in the sense that I had my first backpacking trip. Beautiful in the sense that I felt um, accomplished. As an Enneagram 3, I loved like achieving and getting like the next rank above, but Boy Scouts, um, and specifically the experience in the outdoors, was really toxic and was really masculine and was really, was such a force that I ended up, I feel like changing myself more than I even realized or more than I wanted to um, admit. So much so that like when it came time for me to come out when I was 18, I feel like I went further back into the closet um, because what I was told by the people around me was, we love you when we love you so much for who you are. Uh, this changes nothing. Just don't change on us. Don't become uh, feminine. Don't spend time at the gay bars, like don't become a slut, like don't, um, don't ever do drag. And that was really like scarring uh, also, like more than I think uh, I ever realized until Patty was born. And I spent the next 10 years um, as an out gay person um, in rural America, like in Nebraska, uh, living life and being the one queer person that a lot of most everyone in my hometown knew. And I didn't have queer community. I had the occasional queer friend here or there, and I had great friends. Um, and I'm really thankful for the love that I experienced, but I learned over time over those like next, or basically over those 10 years, kind of before Patty was born. So from like 18 to now, you know, being 28, like, how much uh, there were like conditions put on uh, friendships or love or just how passive aggressive or just passive uh, people were in my life. And um, over those past 10 years too, I spent uh, them in my like career life as a photographer. And that was such a saving grace for this queer kid uh, because I got to make things and I got to have another thing to be proud of another identity uh, to be had. Other than just being gay, I wasn't known as just when the gay kid in Nebraska, I was known as when the photographer or when the accomplished photographer or when our photographer. And that felt beautiful to, to give people things 
it felt beautiful to get to uh, like make people's day through what I made. And, and I fell in love with like people and really seeing the beauty in people um, and really seeing the vulnerability of people, um, getting to photograph them and getting to give them something that meant so much to them. And I also like loved uh, other art forms like early on and over those like past 10 years too of like singing and performing and dancing and was always like fascinated with makeup and just like thought I was just bad at it um, and I'm still terrible at it. But the convergence of all these worlds happened um, when Patty was born. I after spending 10 years as a photographer, just felt like I didn't know if photography was the only thing, the only creative outlet out there for me. And I blocked off a whole entire winter and spring to um, have a quarter life crisis, a planned quarter life crisis, to actually learn to sail and to go sailing on my grandma's sailboat. I come from a family of sailors and like outdoor people, kind of one generation disconnected. Like my grandma has sailed around the world multiple times with my grandpa. Um, so much story to tell in there, but um, I see my grandma as like one of the defining forces in my life. And so to honor her life and to honestly just get a change of pace, I was like, okay, come like this winter, I'm going to learn to sail. I'm gonna sail on my grandma's sailing boat and then I'm gonna take her sailing with me. And the fall before that, I went on a little backpacking trip and um, decided to pack these high heel boots um, and wore them. And this little video happened. And a moment happened where I had like all of the world knocking on my door being like, hi, what are you? Who are you? What are you doing? And also like um, more more like privilege of opportunity of like news and media than ever and I was like what do I do do I just say oh don't worry about it this is just some little social media video on some little account or do I literally go for it do I say you know what what if this is the start of a thing but I had all these people interviewing me asking me so how long have you been doing drag and I was like um I've done drag one time before in my life. And they're like, um, what? No, okay. Or I had all these outdoor organizations or brands reaching out to me wanting to work together. And, and I felt really, um, really weary of who to trust and what to trust and, and how to be in this new world when I knew I wanted to give to it. Um, but I was still so figuring out like who I was in it. And I feel like we're all experiencing that all the time. I feel like I'm still experiencing that. I do not know what Patty will be or who I will become, but I feel like now through Patty, I know what I stand for uh, in life and I know what's important or I'm, I'm learning what is important and that is beautiful to me. And I also feel like Patty is giving me uh, a creative outlet where, and kind of drag as an art form is this, sanctuary where all of my talents can exist where I can be uh I, I can still where I can still like perform and create and collaborate with people and celebrate life and be in the outdoors um and so that all feels really important to me and as much of a public journey as Patty is and as much as Patty stands for things and has so much confidence behind the scenes I feel like there is this very internal journey of me figuring out uh, and unlearning so much of what I learned of self-reflecting all the time of stumbling and falling and making the wrong move or just having a really like human experience through it um, of really asking myself, who are you? And what do you want this to be? And what do you want your life to be? And, um, and what can you give? And learning that, learning the really beautiful and powerful lesson that uh, you have like nothing to prove and everything to give. But I uh, <laughs> am fascinated with how easily I can forget that. But life's a journey. I would say that like life is still at a distance and at a dichotomy, just like it was when I was a kid. Um, and I feel like 
the world is placing dissonance in all of our lives right now. And I don't think that there is a better time than now ever to question everything. Um, and I think nature teaches us a lot about uh, uncertainty. Um, and I really liken Patty and honestly, the uh, place where we are at as a world right now uh, to an earthquake. And I think when an earthquake happens, when a disaster happens, or when things get shaken up, like all of the dust gets flung into the air and we're searching for meaning and we're searching for how we can help and we're searching for who are we and what we what will we become in this and I used to look forward to the dust settling and through the journey with Patty I think I'm learning how important it is to just keep on shaking up that dust and I want to be really uh, straightforward that I am not excited at all about what is happening in the world in the terms of the racism and xenophobia and homophobia and just hate that exists in this world. But I am excited for what people will make of that um, when they are forced to take action um, and when we make the choice to ally people and advocate for things and truly know who we are and what side of history we want to be on. So I'm kind of excited for the dust to never settle. I'm just excited for us as humans to realize that uh, everything is intersectional and if we can't stand up for each other, if we can't like choose to protect each other, what do we got? If we can't choose to protect our world, what do we got? And I will be really fascinated to take the art form of drag and Patty um, to really try to intersectionally bring those conversations forward and create community and to use art and joy as acts of resistance and of, of, uh, of really important pieces of figuring out how I can personally be there for each other and do my part. So that is when, and that is Patty. And I feel like I am trying to reclaim experiences that I enjoy that I never got to have early on um, in my youth and in my life. Um, and I'm so grateful that Mother Nature struck me with uh, the magic wand of drag and that I figured out how important it was for me to question everything. And I would encourage everyone to take this moment when we finally aren't distracted with thing after thing after thing, even though those things were likely very beautiful and purposeful. But now that we don't have those distractions to take a hard look in the mirror for the first time in a long time um, and ask yourself really what you want your life to be and how your life and your privilege and who you are can be in service of others. Over the last year, but especially in the last six months, I've witnessed you become so much more outspoken. Like you're still the fun, like good time gal Patty, but you've been more bold and you've been speaking out to individuals who say harmful things in comments. And even speaking, you've even been speaking out to outdoor brands who aren't doing enough to leverage their resources for this uh, social injustice revolution we're in. Can mm. you tell us a little bit about this change in growth? Like when did you was there a moment when you realized that you had felt like you had to speak up about these things? What has changed for you? I think I have realized that allyship is uh, not a political issue. Um, it's a human issue. I think it's also been feeling comfortable in Patty's skin for the first uh, time ever. Um, you know, <laughs> just the, the hyper speed in which the journey with Patty has happened has honestly left me like paralyzed most days, but I'm learning that it is really important for me not to tell people what to think, but to always share my opinion because I'm never going to apologize for sharing my opinion on something. And honestly, realizing that like my opinion might change, but that I need to, um, I need to, I need to model what I want to see. 
that and uh, I have been very lucky to just be connected with a lot of people that I look to as um, as incredibly inspirational and as the the greats in in the space of leadership um, and advocacy and allyship. Um, so that's been really important, and I've I've just learned so much over the past year. Growth. I love it. <laughs> Yay, thing. growth. <laughs> yep. Yes. Huge thanks to our guests, Will Acuna Robinson, Megan Banker, Patty Gonia, and Keenan Adams. Your stories mean so much to me. Thank you for entrusting me and Unlikely Hikers with them. You can find Acuna on Instagram at Acuna Hikes, Megan at PDX Outdoor Cairo, as in chiropractor, Patty at Patty Gonia, and Keenan at Keenan underscore the underscore nomad. Thank you, National Forest Foundation, for partnering with Unlikely Hikers and supporting this episode. You guys are awesome. Visit nationalforests.org and nationalforestweek.org and get involved. Join one of the daily virtual events through July 19th and keep your eyes open for more content from Unlikely Hikers in partnership with the National Forest Foundation. And you, the listeners, thanks for being here with me. You can find the Unlikely Hikers podcast on most podcast apps. If you like what you hear, please rate us five stars and leave a review. We've been charting a little and it's really exciting. So please share with your friends and networks. If you'd like to support Unlikely Hikers, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Jenny Brusso. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, head to jennybrusso.com to do so. And you'll also find all of the notes for this episode. Until next time, recreate responsibly. Keep expanding what it means to be an ally to people of different identities and experiences than your own. And don't stop demanding justice for Breonna Taylor. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.